We know when we talk about the end, the Bible references the end as the tribulation period. The world as we know it will end in a time of trial and tribulation, wrath and judgment upon the earth. And we read that all the way through the Bible, all the way in the Old Testament. It's prophesied of that, things of the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. Paul's writing to the church in a number of passages. And we begin this uh, Revelation study in the first part of it, talking about the church and these aspects and how it applies to us. So we broke down in our first lesson with this about what the three views are of the rapture, whether Jesus comes for us at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end of the tribulation period. And then we are answering the question of this, will Christians go through that tribulation period? I'm going to run through the first three reasons why I believe, why the Bible teaches Christians will not go through the tribulation period. Uh, th these first three were ones that we had in our last lesson, so if you missed that, you can go back. But number one, because of the absence of the church that's mentioned in there. We do not read of God's church being mentioned in the book of Revelation from chapter 6, where the tribulation begins, all the way through chapter 19. And then we have the second coming of Christ in the battle of Armageddon. But we have this huge passage, and you say, well, Jesus just left out the church when he was talking about it, using that word. Well, the first three chapters mentions the church 19 times. So that is not true. And so we explained a lot of the aspects of that. The next thing was understanding the wrath of God about what the Bible explains that the Revelation chapter 6, when we begin the tribulation period, it is talking about the wrath of God abiding on the earth and being poured out on sin and mankind because of sin. And the Bible says very clearly in Revelation chapter 6 verse 17, for the day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? There's no denying it. You can go back to the other lesson and, and review how many times that the Bible refers to uh, Revelation in the tribulation period as being the wrath of God. Not just difficulties, not perilous times, but it is outright 100% the wrath of God. And you say, well, why is that important to understand? Because God made it very clear to believers, to his church. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, for God hath not not appointed us to wrath, but unto salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I didn't appoint you to that. If we're to celebrate in our salvation and embrace the fact that I am saved, redeemed, you need to know what you're saved from. And you say, I know what I'm saved from. I'm saved from hell. You're not just saved from hell. You're saved from the wrath of your sin. It's not that just God pulled us out of hell. It's a matter of knowing why, because we are forgiven of that and we are set free from the wrath of God. Number three, because of the rapture and the second coming are not the same thing. They're two separate events. And therefore, if you're going to view and understanding the fact that the Bible explains that they're two separate events, then you have to understand in context where they're at, because you can't put them as one if they're two separate events. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, explaining the, uh, the rapture of the church, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the rapture is the calling out of God's people, but not the same thing as the second coming. Because in the rapture, the Bible is very clear that we meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Now that's not just a random thing that he says. That is a definition and explanation to be caught up. And we'll look at some other aspects of that. But the second coming of Christ is when Christ comes to the world 
to end, close out the society and humanity and everything of, of this whole uh, period of time on this earth. And he puts a close to it, a close to the Antichrist, a close to the sin, a close to the wrath of God that he had for those seven years. And the Bible says in Revelation 19, verse 14, when we look at this, and the armies which were in heaven followed him with white horses, clothed in white linen. Who is that? Who is he talking about? It's very clearly that God is talking about his saints. And the whole Bible talks about how we're the bride of Christ and we will return to the earth with him. If we're returning with him, we had to be called up to meet him first. So these things are important for us to understand that they're different events and they're doctrines of the Bible of things to come that we have to understand. So here's the fourth question. I'm gonna, we're looking at this. So where do we find it in Revelation? Where do we find the rapture? And this is important because of the placement of the rapture in the book of Revelation. This is one of the reasons you say, how do you know this? Now this is strongly debated and I'm gonna break something down and this comes from my study and this is me just digging into this and looking at this, and I want you to see exactly what's going on with this. Let's go back uh, to when the church is mentioned. I think that's important. Let's follow the church, and then let's look for the disappearance of the church. You got to say, if the church is no longer mentioned in Revelation, where did they go? Because the matter is, God doesn't just close out the church. We have a mission. I am on a mission as a church. So if I have a mission, the only reason that I can be called out or no longer mentioned in Revelation as I had to finish my course. And that's what the Bible talks about. So the first three chapters talks about the church 19 times. And we've already emphasized this. And this is how the message closes out to the church. So look at this. Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. Now to him that overcometh. Who is the overcomers? Well the Bible is very clear. We are as the church. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne? That is so important. So I've got to look for in the Bible, where do I see God's people sitting with God at his throne? Even I also have overcame, and I am set down with my father in his throne. So you've got to see this, overcomer, victors. We are, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. It's important for us to understand that. So this is the promise of what is to come. Now, the last verse in chapter 3 is we finish out with the church. The last time the word church is mentioned. Let's read that. He that hath a hear, an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the Spirit of God is working. Let me tell you a message, what I'm going to say to you as a church. And he, he has these two chapters that is these message from God to the church. To the church, by the way. I, I keep emphasizing that. So these next verses are intentional. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that I truly believe that the next verses, when you turn the page or turn the chapter, you would begin to read that this description that we're about to read is a description of the rapture. And I've had people say, man, you're kind of reading into that. And it doesn't say, aha, and the rapture happens right here. And I know that. So let me explain. Let's just read it in its entirety. And then we'll go back. And I promise we're going to break it down verse by verse, word by word, phrase by phrase, and see what he's saying. And he says this, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show you the things that must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. All right, you say, well, what would just happen here? 
Well, let's study every word and let's go into the Bible of the New Testament, the, the, what God has written to the church through Paul and what Jesus has said, and line up the doctrine of the end times with, the, uh, with John's revelation and see if they match. Okay, so let's break this down. Let's start in verse 4, verse 1, in, in, or chapter 4, verse 1. He says, after this. I'm going to ask you, what is this? After what? It's saying, once this is done, after, after I saw this, after this was done, what the Spirit saith to the churches, when he was saying about the churches, the church is no longer mentioned. So you would have to say at the very beginning, after this, after what? Ask yourself the question, after this, he says, after this, this happened. And, and he says, these things uh, of the church must come to pass, but the church is no longer mentioned. He says the next phrase, I looked. After this, I looked. Now let's see what the Bible says about looking. In, in Titus 2.13, he says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the commandment to the church is to ever so look for the hope, the promise, the blessing of Jesus Christ? And I've mentioned this a number of times. Jesus gave a sign that he came into the world. It was a star. The whole world missed it. You say, why is that? Even when the, the wise men went into the, the, the Herod's men that were scholars and told them and said, we have seen his star, his sign that he has come. What did they do? They didn't respond to it at all. They didn't, they didn't respond. They didn't follow. They didn't go after because they missed it. So the Bible tells us, looking. He filled the Bible with instructions of things, what to look for, that when we see the sign, not a star this time, it was going to be in a lot of different ways, that we anticipate, we get excited about the coming of the Lord. And the next words is, behold. You know what, that, that same wording is in everything that he's mentioned about the coming of Christ. In Revelation 3.1, he was talking to the church. He said, behold, I come quickly. That literally means to see, to take notice, to look upon. That's what he was talking about. What happened after that? It says, and a door was opened. You say, why would he describe it to that? It's funny that when he talked about the coming of Jesus Christ, when Jesus was teaching of this, in Matthew 24, verse 33, he said, So likewise, ye, when you shall see all these things, he said this, Know that the, it is near, even at the doors. There is a generation that he says, When you see these things, I want you to know that things are near, even at the doors. The illustration of that is just if you had somebody come into your house and they were saying, We're getting close. It is a big difference of somebody saying we're getting close versus them knocking on your door. It literally means here they come. They're there. There's no more time. There's no more getting ready. There's no more cleaning up the house. Your company is there. And he gives that description. He says he is near even at the doors. And the, when Paul was writing about this, he said the door was open in heaven. He uses that same verbiage of this. It's a visual. Just something that we can apply to. Something we can understand. Notice what happens next. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me. And the Bible describes during the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. He says, in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. A noise, a calling out, an announcement that is going to transpire. It's a, it's a sound of an invitation, of a sound of authority, a sound of announcement that is going to be. Because the, the angel, you think about this and you say, well, yeah, that was just a, a cool illustration. 
you got to understand John the Revelator is being talked to, talked to, talked to. Write this, write this, write this. Then all of a sudden, he said, and all of a sudden, I heard the voice of a trumpet. He looks up. Where does he look to? A voice in heaven. Door opened up saying, you come up here. It's a transition. He said this, the next part. He said, which said, come up hither, and I will show you these things which must be hereafter. Not, John was not just seeing the future because we know the revelation means to unveil. That's what revelation means, to unveil. But he was tr- being transported in his vision. You think about why is that a big deal? Because if you have a vision, it literally means that God's showing you something. But in his vision, John is no longer just seeing something. The Bible says he's being transported, moved, relocated in his, it was a transition. I, I thought about this and I thought, what is that language that he's using? Come up hither. Could you really tie that into the rapture? You sit there and say, it doesn't say rapture, but do you understand the words come up hither as the same definition of the rapture? And let me show you this. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we find later that God raises up two witnesses. They're going to preach. There's going to be the 144,000 that believe all these great things that are going to happen in the middle of that. There's this whole dispensation of truth that transpires of the fulfillment of God's promises to the Jews. So many things are going to happen that we could go get so deep understanding God's promise to the Jews and things that are going to happen with the Jews. During that time, those two witnesses are going to be murdered. They're going, to, they're going to be passed away, dying in the street for like three and a half days. God resurrects their body. Okay, get that. Raises them up from the dead. And they don't just stay there. After that, the Bible says that he calls them up into heaven, an ascension up into heaven. By the, by, by the way, that is exactly what Jesus did at the end of his. He was ascended up into heaven. He didn't just appear there. He was ascended up into heaven. Revelation eleven twelve. when it talks about those witnesses... And it says, and I heard a great voice from heaven. This same description is Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. He said, I heard a great voice from heaven saying unto me, here's the words, come up hither. What happened to those saints going from the earth to heaven? Here's what happened. And they ascended up into heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. You got to see what's going on there. The same language, and I'm not saying that that's the rapture by any means. I'm not saying that. But I am saying the same phrasing, the same wording that we can compare from one to the other is being transported from the earth, come up hither, into the clouds, meeting Jesus. We see this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. Let's see if this keeps uh, uh, paralleling with this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. And this is an immediately... Now notice something like this. It didn't say, and I was transported and there was this thing that happened. He says immediately, why does it say this if it was just a a vision that was going on? But I just say, well, maybe it's describing the rapture because what does the Bible say about us coming from earth to heaven? Here it is. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 with the rapture, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that is a visual, a description of immediately. Then what happens to John? He says, I was in the Spirit. Immediately, I was changed. He's not seeing things the same. John was changed into the spiritual. The Bible says about us being uh, transported into heaven. Let's see what it says. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The rapture is the transition from us from the carnal to the spiritual, from the physical to the heavenly. 
That is a transition. In the moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. It says in the next verses after this, we won't get in this, corruptible will be put on incorruptible. Physical will now be turned into spiritual. And that's what this verse was saying. Saints are, are being transitioned. And he says this. And this, John says, I was changed from physical into spiritual. They say, well, that's just random. Why is it random if he's already in the physical and he's just having a vision? You got to think, why does it even put it in there? Why did, he didn't say, and I saw a glimpse of heaven. There's transitional verses that happen with this. So what happens? And immediately I was in the spirit. Behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one that sat on the thrones. What happens in the rapture? It says, we are confident. I say, willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Even that transition that he was talking about is literally saying when we are called out or called home, what do we see? What do we, where are we at? And the Bible even says in that passage in Revelation 4, 2, when he was talking about it, a throne was set in heaven and the one that sat on the throne. Who sits on the throne? It's Jesus. Transition from, spirit, from physical to spiritual and being brought right into the presence of God. Again, this doesn't say rapture. But it's the only passage that lines up, the only thing in Revelation that lines up with what we hear in the New Testament of teaching and teaching and doctrine and doctrine one after another about the coming of Jesus Christ. Where does it happen? It happens right after the church. What is the first words? He says, after this. What happens? All the words from line to line, word to word, lines up with everything that he taught us about the coming of Christ for the rapture. What happens after that? Saints are before God, casting their thrones, explaining that we're the redeemed of God, praising God as being the redeemed, the lamb that was slain. That's only the believers that have that. Our reward is with us. And then we see tribulation begin. So I'm just saying, if you take the timeline of it and you put it there, it all adds up. So we definitely, everything that I just explained, we do not at all whatsoever find that description at the end of Revelation in 19. All we find then is the second coming. And who is with Jesus? The saints of God. It is totally different. Answer number five. Here's the next one. Because of the absence of the Spirit of God. This is so important. Revelation, the tribulation period, is the work of Satan escalated on a level like we've never seen before. He's able to do what he wanted to do for so long. And we see this, see things happening in Revelation that we don't see happening now. Let me give you an example. And you say, well, what are you talking about? I mean, things are difficult now. Satan is working. Let me explain this. And it says in the fifth angel, Revelation 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven unto the earth. Him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Let's just explain who's being loosed right here, okay? Verse 3, And they came out smoke of locusts upon the earth, and unto them was giving power as scorpions of the earth have power. Now I'm going to explain this to you. Literally, what is happening is an angel comes down, open the pits of hell. Open the gates of hell and release from the gates of hell judgment upon humanity. And you say, why doesn't Satan do that now? You say, that is cra- that, that's, that's crazy. It's like, man, should we be in fear if that's what's going to come to us now? What in the world is holding back Satan from tearing us apart or tearing humanity apart now? 
What holds Satan back from torturing us anymore or the lost? Even you say, well, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. Amen to that. But what stops him from doing that to humanity? And I know that he's working, but not literally open the gates of hell with this. He's unable to do these things because there is an opposition that is greater than Satan. Thessalonians explains what happens in Revelation. And 2 Thessalonians is filled with end-time prophecy. And he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6, Now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So he's saying, why is the Antichrist not ruling now? Uh, why has he not shut down churches? Why do we still have people being saved? Why are churches still growing? Because there's something that is holding back the, the, the gates of hell, in which we know is the church and all these things that are happening. For this, there's a power happening. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. I'm going to tell you, he says right there, he says, Satan and everything that he's doing is already working. Satan is working. We know that. Man, look at our world and our culture today. The mystery of iniquity is already working. Satan's plan is in motion. He's working in homes and churches and society and government, all these things. We know this because even Ephesians says because the days are evil. We know this. But the mystery is some form of sin which was working secretly and silently. We, see, we have an unseen battle, and the Bible describes it in Ephesians chapter 6. But it says this in the rest of that passage, Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. Now, I'm going to ask you the question, who is the he that is, he's talking about here? It's the Spirit of God. What hinders the working of iniquity? What hinders Satan, it's the church. You say, well, I thought you just said it's the Spirit of God. Let's define the church for a minute. You understand that the Spirit of God indwells in the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the building of Jesus Christ. We are. He says, until he hath taken him out of the way. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, for he hath said, I will never leave thee forsaken. You got to understand the Spirit of God will never ever leave the children of God. Actually, to give you a promise, I am sealed with the Spirit of God. I have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. God cannot separate His Spirit from me. I have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. But the Bible says in the, in the book of Revelation that everything that Satan is able to do is because the Spirit of God is taken out of the way. It says in verse 8, and then shall the wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the Spirit of His mouth. The wicked is the Antichrist. Satan can't do what he wants to do until something major happens. You know what that major thing that happens? The spirit, the Bible says that he that will let is taken out of the way. He that is the resistant has to be taken out of the way. Now I'll tell you, if the spirit of God is in the saints and seven years begins Satan taking over, there's, there's a wall there, there's a dam there that's holding him back. And God says, I pull that out of the way, which is the, the, the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. He takes that out of the way and Satan's able to come in and do what he's never been able to do before because the Spirit of God is absent. Now, I still believe that the Spirit of God is working during that time because we can't deny the character of God that God is everywhere at one time. He, he just is. But what I'm talking about is the indwelling in the Spirit of God the same way that the New Testament talks about it in reference to the Old Testament when they did not have these, the indwelling in the Spirit of God. We are the opposition. Question number five, because it counterdicts the imminent return of Jesus Christ. 
If you were to say that Christians are going to go through the tribulation period, it contradicts the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain that. The word imminent literally means about to happen or can happen any time. That, that is literally what we believe. We say, be ready, for Jesus could come back at any time. The Bible says that. When you look at the book of Revelation, let me explain this. The book of Revelation is an outline. It is a playbook. Literally, page by page, line by line, is an outline of seven years. Seven years divided being in the middle of three and a half years. The Bible says up until that point, the seal judgments equal to the three and a half years. The trumpet judgments happen after that. The bowl judgments happen after that. There's all these judgments that happen in chronological order of events that happens to this. At the end of it, it explains, and then I saw this, and this happened, and all these things begin to happen. A detailed description of people, places, disasters, famines, things that happen from heaven, and plagues that come upon the earth. The second coming happens at the end of this. Now the question is, if Jesus Christ is coming at the end of the book of Revelation, or I'd say, let me put it like this, at the end of the tribulation period, we would know all the way to the minute of it because it is exactly seven years. It's a timeline. It says, the question is, and when you look at Scripture, how is that possible for us to know that and have that countdown when the Bible says in Luke 12, 40, be therefore also ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Now we've already explained, go back to the other thing, when the Bible talks about the word hour, the word hour in the Bible is literally talking about a season of time. It's not literally talking about 60 minutes. So you have to keep that in mind as we look at this. So if we were going through the tribulation period, how would that be possible? We would have a countdown to the end. We would know exactly. We could be able to get up and say, we have two years, three months, and six days until the seven years. We would have a countdown. The imminent return of Jesus Christ would be done, done away with. Matthew 24, verse 36, another thing. He says in this, but the day and the hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If you read the book of Revelation, the Bible explains to us that what happens with the judgments upon earth is literally one angel after another after another is pouring out these judgments through the trumpets, the, the, the seals, and all those things that are happening. That. So if the angels don't even know in heaven, that would be a lie in the scripture because they would be the ones counting down to the Lord's return. It doesn't add up. Question or answer number six, because it contradicts the victory of God's people. You see, the Bible says in Revelation six seventeen, for the great day of His wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? The, the The book of Revelation is all about this. It's about He says, who shall be able to stand? Because there is defeat and judgment that is poured out. See, you've got to understand. For us as believers, you've got to understand. If it's seven years of tribulation period, failure in the reign of Satan. What job does the church have in that? You've got to understand, it doesn't match with the character, the calling of Christians or the church. Because the Bible says about this, read Revelation, and I will go through more of this later. It says, go through this. It says, no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. There's no weapon that Satan shall be able to give to us that is going to prosper in this life. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, a year of God, little children, have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than where? Than he that is in this world. You have to understand that the, what this is talking about is in tribulation period, there is no victory. There's no conquering. There's no shutting down Satan. 
There's no pushing back the darkness. There's no light being brighter than the darkness. Actually, it is a tsunami of judgment that comes upon them. And this can't be true. There is no victory. There is no revival outside of what the Jews experienced of this great awakening during this time. But once again, that is not even talking about the church in that aspect of it. There is a rise of evil in Satan leads. So the tribulation period is about defeat, oppression, demonic activity, destruction, judgment, wickedness, and death. And if I had time, I'd love to explain to you the Christian life is the polar opposite of that. Actually, it comes down to this. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Literally, God was saying that he comes down to a purpose. I've created the purpose of the church to be light shining in the darkness, to conquer, to lead, to change. There won't be change. There won't be victory. There won't be any of these things that we find this. The tribulation period has a purpose and the church does not fit that purpose whatsoever. Here's the seventh thing. Because we are the children of God. Now these last two that I'm going to give you are a lot shorter, but hang on with me for a minute as I explain this. Can I just tell you some things in the Bible and these things that I'm about to give you, I want you to, I want you to hear my heart when I say this. I am a born-again Christian. I have been saved most of my life. I have been a Christian most of my life. I have been in church all of my life. I study what the Bible says a lot. Nothing that is in the Bible can contradict itself. Nothing, when it comes to the Bible, can contradict itself. If there was to find an error that goes against the character of God, it would discredit and make us question and doubt our God. This cannot happen. The Bible says that he is our heavenly father. It's a biblical principle that we preach all the time. The love of God, the protection of God, the care of God. And examples of God giving us things like that in the Bible are on purpose. It's so that we can identify with them, that we can connect with them. In the Bible, Jesus was talking and he says, he said, let me tell you about my father. He was saying, he was saying in a sense, let me tell you about myself. Now we've got that with the prodigal son, the father running and throwing himself on there. We've got that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He's our heavenly father. He cares about us in this way. And they were questioning about the care and the love of God. And this is what the, Jesus said about his father. He says, if ye then, being evil, and he's talking about us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good gifts or give things good things unto them that ask him. He said, let me tell you dads. He said, let me connect to you on a level. He said, you might not understand God and and mankind. But he said, you do understand father and son, mother and child. He said, man, that is a bond and a connection that God was saying, I created that. He said, you're going to understand that because I created that. And I'm going to explain to you, when we look at the book of Revelation, this is what we see. And then he says, then the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into a cup into his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. Now I know that the Bible explains that those that will receive Jesus Christ during the tribulation period will have a, a sign put on them and people speculate what that is and the Jews will be spared from some of these things. I totally get that and I still believe that. I totally believe that. But the mankind, not just the demons being loosed, but the judgment and the wrath that's being poured on mankind doesn't change. The changes of the world is applied to everyone. Darkness, 
no water. All the food supplied is destroyed. The sun will be so hot that it scorches mankind. The water will be turned into blood. There will be great earthquakes. There will be hailstorms that are extreme. There will be beheadings of the people that follow or claim Jesus Christ. From all of this is not the devil. And I know that sounds so hard of it. It's the devil doing some of these things. But you have to understand what is happening. It is the wrath of God upon sin of humanity. And people have explained this before and been able to try to justify and say there's been different things that God's allowed mankind to go through, even his people, the Holocaust and the things that have happened to the Jews and wars and these things. That opposition was from man. This opposition is from God. You have to understand that. What is being poured out in revelation comes from heaven. Even the symbolism of it being a bowl being poured out. I'm just going to ask you this. How in the world does God trap his children and then take out his wrath and pour it upon the one who is his children and then sit there and say, hey, you're a father. How does a good father know how to do good things to his kids? And you're going to sit there and explain that the heavenly father that does even better than you do is going to trap his kids and pour judgment and wrath and and torture upon his kids? I'm just telling you, when it comes to the character of God, it does not add up. Let me close with one thought with this. Number eight, why do I believe that Christians will not go through the tribulation period? Because of this, there would be no joy, no peace looking for his appearing. The Bible does not go into specifics when it comes exactly when he's going to return and things like that. But we can rest assured in the promises of God. The Bible tells us to look forward to the coming of God. Man, we should be, uh, on Sunday, and and most Sundays, we're singing about the coming of Jesus Christ. And I can't wait, and what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I can't wait for that. We pray, we long, we yearn for that. We get so excited about this stuff. Just a little bit ago, I was on vacation. When I was on vacation, I was gearing up towards that. And the day was getting close, and I couldn't wait to go on vacation. It was something that I anticipated. I was counting down. I was looking forward to leaving on that day. And and that was a while back. And it should be that when you anticipate, you get excited about those things, that it brings joy to you. The things that God has said and promised to you should bring joy to your life. And we praise God for it. We sing about it. We, we, We do this with our families. Now, I'm going to tell you, if we had to look forward to the coming of God and God said, oh, by the way, oh, let me tell you something. You should look forward to my coming, but it's going to be seven years of hell on earth before you get to to anticipate that. It would totally change the mindset of believers when it came to this. We would not be singing about, even so come Jesus, and I can't wait for that. We would literally look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ as a dread. I would not want to have kids. I would be worried about everything. I would have fear in everything that we do. It would consume my mind. It would terrify people. They would pray, dear God, please don't come in my generation. We would not want to have kids because we were praying, dear God, don't come in their generation. I don't want to see my kids or my grandkids be put through that. We would be pleading for God to prolong his coming. Because not because of his actual coming or heaven, we would be terrified of what it would take for that to happen. But this is what we see in the Bible. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is he labeled as a Savior when he's talking about the coming of God? Because he's our rescuer, not the Father that condemns us to wrath. The Bible says in 1 John 4.17 and 18, it says, Herein is our love made perfect, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. What is that? Victorious. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that if feareth is not made perfect in love. If we have God in our life, we would not fear what he's going to do to us in the tribulation period. The Bible says because of our relationship, he casts out fear. We have joy in our salvation. We have peace in Jesus Christ. We have hope because of this.